Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson co-producer of Flash of Beauty Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. Okay, here we are again. Mike, thanks for joining Brett, Jill, and myself. It's good to see you, bro. Good to see you, too. Thanks for having me. And I must mention that, Mike, you have on a hat, a hat I recognize, that your doppelganger wore. Tell this story real quick to the folks. Yeah, that was a weird one. Me and Brett were um, up at Cannon Beach. We were at Cola State Park, and... We were kind of setting up a shot looking out to the coast. Um, it's kind of a shot where we framed some trees in the foreground, coast in the back, um, and uh, just really out in the middle of nowhere. There, you know, we were just kind of setting up shop, and all of a sudden, this guy just appears out of nowhere, and he's like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" You know, we're <laughs> telling him we're shooting a little bit for a documentary coming up, and what are you doing? And look at him. If we're wearing the same exact hat, it's not a, it's not a common hat for an outdoor company, but it's not a hat that I've ever seen anybody else wear, but yeah, he happened to be wearing it. It was very strange. <laughs> Super. We were out and we were just like out in the middle of nowhere. And he just popped out. Well, yeah. When Brett like, told the story, it was way weirder when Brett told it, Mike, you're making it sound like you just had the same hat on. He had to, uh, he no, had well, your face. You get, you he had get, your outfit. <laughs> well, no, I mean, the, the, the strange thing about it was, is we, where we were set up, we couldn't see a single person. Um, I mean, we're at this popular state park. So about, I'd probably say maybe 200 yards, maybe, maybe 300 yards to our east are where the park is, where the parking lot is. And there's, there's people, there's not a, it's not a crowd of people, you know, um, and we were kind of, you know, we hiked a little bit to get to get this shot. And here comes this dude. He's got like a long beard and, you know, and I'm just like, what? He's wearing the same hat. I mean, this is not a common hat. It's, it's it, you know, it's not like Mike was wearing a Yankees hat. And so was this guy, you know, and even then that would have been weird. Um, you know, just same baseball team kind of a thing. But mm -hmm. I've never seen this hat for sale. I don't think anybody in the audience probably hasn't. And... Mm -hmm. The chances mathematically were pretty infinitesimal. <laughs> yeah, I'd say pretty, pretty yeah, slim. Pretty, it, we took it as a sign. We take these things as signs sometimes. Oh it was my gosh! Really, really, really strange. Well, but we obviously, talked to him. I mean, we, yeah, we talked to him about you know we got into a full conversation about yeah. Bigfoot with him and the phenomenon, and he was totally open to it. And yeah. You know, he had to. Stand. He had yeah. to. He was a time traveler who came back <laughs> to warn you. And he's like, eh, "These idiots oh can figure it out and fend for themselves." I'm just but kidding. I'm just he, kidding. And he wasn't from Oregon. Where he he said he no. Was, he was. Uh, I thought he was from like like one of the know. like North or South Carolina or something. Maybe I'm yeah totally yeah. Wrong, it was but... one of the Norths. It was like North Dakota or North Carolina. I yeah. think. But yeah, and he he came out to the Oregon coast to see it. He'd never seen it before. Oh, cool! But that that's that's was his story. He told us though. But that's, I, yeah, yeah I that's think, his cover story. Yeah, I, his I avatar. Like, Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mark Zuckerberg I mean, peeled his face off, and there he was. <laughs> these things happen often, and it's like sometimes. I'm, and I'm not. I'm not saying this guy wasn't a real guy, but I'm just saying if he wasn't a real <laughs> it's guy, it's not aliens. But it really if is. if he was some sort of time traveler messenger or something like that, it's right. like sometimes the, yeah. the phenomenon is like blatant. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, look at look at me. Look at here. I am. Mm -hmm. you know, I am not of this world kind of thing. 
I know you've experienced that many times, Toad. You know, at the Almond Lab. I claim Lab. nothing. I claim nothing. <laughs> you know, in full transparency, I did go out on a date once, and I had the same belt on as the girl I was going out on the date whoa. once with. <laughs> whoa, whoa! So you both have. So uh, let me just tell you, she has amazing taste. Obviously, at the <laughs> men's department store. Wow. But it was a little awkward. And how did you find <laughs> Not too out many about... people can sport the white leather belt but me. But let me tell you. Wow. <laughs> there I was. Did you go out on a date with Elvis, Toby? <laughs> right. <laughs> there are different versions of me. If you go back through my high school yearbook. Oh, my gosh. Hey, in other news, quick transition here. Um, I want to get into, before we talk about our guest, because I think it's you know, it's topical to where we're going with this dock and these whistleblowers in the Bigfoot community. We have, um, you know, by the time this episode comes out, this might be old news. I don't think so. But, you know, this uh, defense intelligence whistleblower-esque um, David Charles Grush gets on News Nation, says he tries to get on other uh, big shows like CNN and uh, New York Times won't uh, set him up. Um, I think it was uh, Leslie Kane, the uh, reporter that broke the 2017 story that set up this interview with uh, this David Charles Grush, who's, you know, on a need to know basis about what's going on as far as military defense spending. And, and he's saying and I want your guys' thoughts on this and how it may relate to Sasquatch that not only is the UFO phenomena real, but we have crashed vehicles. There are bodies associated with this. Um, there are questions that were asked to him that haven't even been um, exposed yet. Even more interesting stuff yet that hasn't come out that he's answered to. So what do you, Jill, what do you think? BS, are there any, you know, we watched a facial recognition guy and we're trying to find BS going off on this guy. You know, he's answering a lot of questions. Yes, but shaking his head. No, but mm. is that his baseline? Jill, what do you think? Uh, wow. I feel like uh, I was, I'm in the hot seat. You're in the hot um, seat. Go Jill. Here's what I think is I think it's gonna, you know, just like in all things, uh, more people are going to come forward and I think the stories are even going to be more incredible. Uh, I think people are going to start uh, backing up each other's stories. It's like the the thing on the news about the, the in Vegas, the mm -hmm. the kid who's like who called nine one one. Angel, the yeah, Angel, I think his name is. You call him whatever you want. <laughs> uh, um, right. But no, I mean, I mean, obviously, like the footage from the ring cam where they mm. used to hear that explosion see the yeah. explosion so obviously other people in the neighborhood heard it as well so it's like mm -hmm. what i mean what else is going on it made me think of the new the the latest uh, documentary james fox did down mm -hmm. in brazil right you moment know of contact moment of contact yeah i was like oh did they leave one behind? Maybe there's a, mm. an alien could wander around Vegas and no one would notice though. <laughs> they would just think it was, you know, well, right. And they are attraction. wandering around Vegas. I don't know when the last time you were in Vegas was Jill, but yeah, <laughs> they're, they're rolling craps Reno right now in the Bellagio. Let me tell you. <laughs> they have a whole underground community full of aliens there, right? Like you go under the city and it's alien central. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, we get a little bit into this. Uh, Brett, you bring this up in this latest podcast we're going to present here with Arla Williams, who we're going to be speaking with next and talk a little bit about that case. And Arla, um, you know, has an opinion about it as well. I don't know um, how much it connects to the Bigfoot world at the end of the story. But, man, when you start talking about Sasquatch with someone like Arla, it feels like you're talking about an alien. And yeah. um you know, what is an alien? We kind of talk about that. Arla is very honest uh, about how she feels about this phenomenon. I kind of press her a little bit on some of that. And um, she sticks to her guns. That's the way I've always known her. 
and I think the community's better served for it. She's not going anywhere, folks, so um, there's more Arla coming your way. Um, I say we just get in the interview. You guys ready? Let's, Let's do, it. do it. Let's do it. Arla Williams. So here we are with another legend. You saw her in the documentary of Flash of Beauty. And now we're going to get to know her a little bit better. Our good friend, Arla Williams. Hello, Arla. Hey, Tobe. It's, <laughs> it's really cool to get to spend my Sunday evening with you guys like that. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we have a little rhythm going here with all our previous guests. And now it's time to make some room here in the little southern quarters of the interweb with Arla Williams. So, Arla, um, you know, there's a lot to be said about uh, your influence in this community. Um, you know, I've been involved with this for, you know, since about 2008 and got to know both sides of the coin. And, um, you know, we flirt with, with what side of the coin we're looking at here periodically in part one. And you're definitely decidedly coming down on the fact that Sasquatch is uh, something other than just flesh and bone and something that, that we can track and hopefully never kill. But um, you've had to deal with these people and maybe deals the wrong way to put this, but you've had to kind of work alongside all of these people of all different shapes and sizes at these conferences. And, um, you know, so for that, you have my admiration because I know that that can be kind of a difficult uh, road to hoe. But, um, you know, I, I guess tell people a little bit about yourself and then we're going to kind of go marching into that territory because you have a good, strong opinion about what's going on with Bigfoot. You have specifics about what's going on with Sasquatch. And I want to get to that territory, but just tell people a little bit about yourself here at first. Okay. I was born here in Oklahoma and I've spent the better part of my life here. Um, I've always been different, but um, my first encounter happened at the age of six. I was at my grandmother's sitting down in the dirt, playing with sticks and things. And I was forever taking sticks and flowers and making houses and all kinds of things. And so that day I was out busy playing and I heard somebody walk up. I thought it was my grandmother, but when I looked up, it was a young juvenile male, Bigfoot. And we just kind of stared at each other for a little while. And um, he turned around and walked off. I got up, ran in the house and told my granny what I'd seen. And I asked her, I said, what was that granny? Because I didn't have a reference for what it was I was seeing other than it was a really hairy kid. You know, that's about the only reference I would have. And all she said to me was, what do you think it was? And so she let me think about it. And that's pretty much how I was brought up. I was brought up to think for myself about things. And she never tried to influence me uh, she let me bring it all to her and we would talk it. and it was that way for all my life with her until she passed. She never told me what I had to think. She always wanted to hear what I thought. You know, in the documentary, there's um, a picture of her, an incredible picture, <laughs> and she's doing the infamous you know frame 352 patty walk yes. and what what year was that photo taken i i don't know for sure she couldn't remember exactly but from the vehicles in it it had to be probably sometime very early 50s i'm guessing if not 1950 you know i, I can't say mm -hmm. exactly but the look on her face was just pure joy at doing this and you know that's what i i got from her was was joy 
and she was all stretched out and having fun with it. Yeah, well, she started, um, you know, a meme before this became a bumper sticker. It's actually an incredible <laughs> piece of evidence yeah. based upon how she's walking. And there needs to, uh, I mean, there should be credit due to the, I don't know anybody who's photographed like that other than her <laughs> doing that. Yeah, she, she loved that old photograph. I did not see that photograph uh, for years. Um, and we were going through some photographs she had and that I'd never seen, old ones. And we came across that. And I asked her, I said, what in the world, Granny? And she said, well, I was doing the walk. And that's, that's all she said was, I was doing the walk. So that's, that's what she was doing. I mean, my grandparents very early on had a camera and, you know, this was a long time ago because I've got lots of old photos that they took themselves of doing all kinds of things. So, but it, it's probably one of my favorite photos to look back at her and, and see the joy you know, that, that she just, she instilled in me. Real quick, Mike, I just want to chime in to Brett. He may, I think he'll get this more than maybe the other two, you guys might get it, but that, that photograph of her mom kind of reminds me of a Morrissey backdrop. I could picture <laughs> it as like a Smith's backdrop yeah. on a t-shirt or something. It's 100%. so iconic. Yeah. yeah. So 100%. we can, we can make you a lot of money by making t-shirts of your grandma in the future, oh, but yeah, it's pretty cool. She would, she would love that. Yeah. Smith's had a, had a album called Big Mouth Strikes Again. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Bigfoot Strikes Again. Bigfoot Strikes Again. Oh, dude, we'll have to work on that. All right, Mike, wow. go ahead. Sorry. Hey, Arla. Um, hi. Hi. We didn't meet. I wasn't down in Oklahoma to no. so film you, but um, but it's nice to finally get to meet you. Well, it's nice to meet you, too. Yeah. I heard about you, but <laughs> now, now, I, now I'm talking to you. No, your section in the documentary was just unbelievable. So thank you so much for helping us out. But um. So you're, I mean, so you come from a family of experiencers. How far does it go back? Does it go back before your grandmother? Or? I would suspect it does. Yeah. Um, but she never talked about any of the other family. And she didn't talk a whole lot uh, about her. You, you know, you would think that she would because she experienced them she experienced them enough to know how how it looked when they were walking but um there's a lot of things in my family that are held from generation to generation uh so i i would say yes it, it probably goes back further but you know it's interesting uh she never taught my mom about them uh my mom was she was so afraid of everything that, and this comes to you if you can do it and if you can't do it then you're just better off not to even try i, I mean to go as far into it as what my grandmother was and and what I was because with experiencing with them is very easy and very special but sharing all those things with the world is not the easiest thing it's much easier now than it was when I first came into this and found out there was a research world trying to prove them. And I thought I thought I was being teased or, you know, a joke was being played on me. But I found out, no, there really are people out there trying to prove that they exist when indigenous people around the world have known for such a long time and many people who 
have experienced them to a degree of more than a wood knock or a whoop or a footprint, you know, and, and those things are fine. And I still like hearing those, but there, there's more there and, and it's there for anybody, anybody who can be respectful and, and be willing to learn more about yourself because that's what you're going to do in this. You think you're going to be learning all about them, but if you do it, you know, openly with your heart open, then you're going to learn more about yourself than you ever did about them. So you think your grandmother probably noticed something in you that showed her that you were more open to the phenomenon than. Oh, yeah. At four, I was dream. People were coming to my dreams and telling me their names, and then we okay. would meet them. So yes, I I was I was very open from a very early age. She was the one who always would listen to me and never told me you can't think like that, you can't do that. Uh, she let me be me. That's great. Plus, I was always running off to the woods already, so it was, it was like, yeah, you know, and, and they came to me. I didn't go to them. They came to me when I was sitting there on the ground at my grandmother's. I didn't go and walk up to him. He came and walked up to me. So that was the opening that... I was supposed to have to be able to talk to my grandmother about this and, and to learn. Arla, you touched on uh, when you got into like going to the conferences and interacting with the researchers and stuff, uh, the people who you, you thought it was a joke or that they were teasing you by yes. saying that we're trying to prove that these are these beings are real. Well, you know, I'm curious because this really is such a male-dominated uh, topic, I guess you could say. What has been, have you found that to be an obstacle just in the way that, that men and women approach, approach the subject? Well, you know, women are used to feeling vulnerable. Men do not like that at all. And so when you're put in a position that makes you feel vulnerable, some women can handle that just fine. And it's not an issue. But, and I won't say most of the men because I've been out with men in the woods and camping and everything that were wonderful. And, uh, I've been with men who I, I've watched posture because they knew they were close. I've, uh, one, I physically watched him. He just kept trying to get taller and taller and bigger. <laughs> he was stretching up and he was already like 6'6", six, six, but he felt vulnerable. And the only thing he knew to do was to make himself feel like he was bigger. Um, is it easier for women uh, to get past all of that? Probably, but not all women either, cause, you know, I've camped with people all over and by and large, the women are, they're ready to go. They're ready to have something, uh, some kind of experience and the men yeah they want to they're going to go but they go at it usually a little different than a woman does and i think that's probably just something that society has put on us and said okay men are supposed to act like this and women are supposed to act like that but i was never taught that i was taught whatever i did to do it didn't make any difference what it was or that i was a girl um, so, Arlen, you, oh, sorry, Jill, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Um, just a, a quick, uh, just to end this this thought is, do you think that it's been it's difficult for some men, the guys who are really chasing 
chasing, you know, looking for truth and to see it with their own eyes. Do you think it's, it's hard for them because it's something that's been presented to you that has come with ease? Well, I've gotten into that before. Um, and, and it was funny because guys would start talking to me and the reason that they would talk to me is because they thought I had the key to take them to see a Bigfoot. So I used to laugh all the time and I'd say, uh, I am not Bigfoot bait. You know, I, I, I'm, I don't have any control over what they do. Um, they choose what it is that they do. And, and I don't ask them to, to do anything for anybody. It's, uh, it's totally their choice. So, Hey, Arlitz, Brett, um, just, you know, this isn't something that we have, we've talked a lot about on this podcast before are the women in the world of Bigfooting. And, I know, you know, from traveling around to the country and speaking with people, you are definitely on the pedestal of so many, you know, men and women alike um, in this community. And so I'm just wondering, just nice and, and, and simple, um, what sort of advice would you give a woman that, that might be a little timid um, or, you know, maybe a little spooked? to go out into the woods. And when I say spooked, I'm not talking about spooked by the Bigfoots, but I'm saying kind of like, I guess it's more of an intimidation thing. You know, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, probably the same advice I'd give a male. Um, you know, when, when you're in the woods, um, you're where they are. I mean, they could be anywhere, but the majority of what we see is in the woods. Um, They've always been in the woods. So if you've been in the woods in your life, they've been around somewhere, whether you knew it or not. But, you know, I tell people when when they go out and they're wanting to have an experience and they get that feeling that there's something there and you don't know what it is, but you know you're being watched or they're there. Um, and it's uh a little scary. I just tell people, start talking, you know, just talk to them, tell them who you are, uh, tell them why you're there. And um, that helps you because it creates in your mind that there's a being there that understands you. And, you know, I just tell them if you can't get past the fear of what's going on, then it's just real simple. Turn around and leave. Don't put yourself into that. And um, it, it's just so much easier on a person to turn around and and leave. And I, you know, I've seen it happen both ways with men and with women, and even with people who have been with me when I've been out. Um, that they just get into that fear factor of not knowing what they're dealing with and what they've watched and what people have said to them factors into what they think already about them without ever taking the chance to get to know them and, and what their nature is. You know, I'm not special in any way to have had what I've had with them in my life. I am respectful above all. I don't expect anything of them. They choose. And I've never been disappointed with anything that they've done. And that was one of the things my grandmother said was uh, there are neighbors and we need to treat them with respect like they're neighbors. That's a great segue into my next question, Arla. Um, when Jill and I had the distinct pleasure of coming out and interviewing you and visiting 
your area, which by the way, you know, we're, we apologize for not bringing our best half, which is Mike. Um, so, but he, he'll get a chance to come out there sometime. I know it, but uh, I would have loved to have gone out there. Yeah. We want to come back too. And we told you, told you as much when we were there, but you told us a story that has really stuck with me. And I think it's stuck with Jill too, because part of the goal of a flash of beauty is to really show people that these are not monsters in the woods. And um, we've believed that from the very beginning, from the time that we set out to make this film. And we were getting sick and tired, frankly, of the portrayal of them as being these beasts or monsters and wanting to hurt people or worse. But you told us a story about um, your vegetable garden and how some things were going missing and how your grandson reacted um, to the situation. Could you tell us that story real quick? Well, um, I would always grow a big garden and I um, had watermelons one year. And what I grew were cob jam and black diamond. And those are very large watermelons. And um, I had this ritual. And if the grandkids were here, we did this all together um we would go to the patch in the morning first thing and we would pick that watermelon we had been watching and we would eat it right there um so i had some that i was watching they were getting close to being ripe and i would go down first thing in the morning and uh check the one that i thought the night before was would be ready in the morning and went down that first morning and the whole watermelon was gone um i thought well what the heck a coyote you know if they've been in your garden uh you know if a coon's been in your garden and with a big watermelon for one of either one of them to drag it out there would have definitely been signs of that well that went on for about three mornings and then there was one that i knew was gonna be ready the next morning and i was thinking i hope that watermelon's not gone and so i get up the next morning i go down there and the watermelon's gone and i'm like wait a minute so i start looking all around where that watermelon was i was pulling vines up and there it was a footprint a bare footprint in the soft dirt under the watermelon vines and so i just immediately turned around and faced the woods and i said okay this is how it's going to be. You can have half, 50% of what I raise in my garden, but you have to be sure and leave me 50% because I have to feed my family as well. And from that point on, there was never any watermelons taken again. Now, one night I was in the garden late and I'd picked a couple of cantaloupes and I'd laid them over at the edge of the row right there. Then I got busy and forgot I left them out there. I got up the next morning to go out and get them and one of them was gone, but one of them was left. And I, I've got story after story of things that they have adhered to. I call it, I enacted the 50-50 rule so that they could have half of what I grew and we could have half. And, and that made me happy, you know, to do that. And I think you had mentioned to us at the time that that you and your grandson had gone to maybe like McDonald's or something and he had a package oh, of apples. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He had he got a happy meal. And you know, they would have those little bags of sliced apples. Well, he said, Mama, I want to put this out. So I said, Okay. So we took it out right here close to the house. And we we left it. And uh we um uh, came back in the house we did some other things and 
we when we went back out to check it it had been opened like a human would pull it open and half the apples were gone but half of them were left and it was closed back and there was an x glyph right there with it and they've used that with me for many years for friendship for family for a greeting uh, they have never used it in all my life as a keep out sign it's always been a very positive thing so they were basically telling him you know you're you're our friend you're our family thank you uh, so i i was i was very happy that they did that for him that is such a great story thank you arlo mm -hmm. mike you had a question so it's clear you've got an amazing relationship with them. Have have you ever felt that fear or has it always just been a positive, you know, interaction with, with them? I've never had a fear of them. I'm 73 years old. I've known them since I was six years old. I've been from coast to coast. I primitive camped. I primitive camped by myself and I've, uh, camped in to uh, British Columbia. I've had many, many, many experiences over the over my life. None of them have ever been negative. Uh, I've never felt threatened. Um, Indigo, who is the young male that I've interacted with so much, when I would be by myself, he would come through of evening and give me the whistle. And I would know that he was around. And um, sometimes of a morning, I would get a, a whistle from him. So I, if anything, I felt like I've been taken care of that I don't have to worry about going into the woods anywhere uh, with any of them. And, you know, I've seen some that look totally different than uh, Indigo and his family. I've seen some that are more primitive looking. I've seen some that are way more human looking. And, uh, so like us, you know, they have all kinds of, of looks too and hair color. Uh, my question is, because I know you've talked about Indigo and his family. Um, we And I don't think we really, we didn't put that in the documentary, but we had a pretty lengthy, you know, discussion about it and like your photos and everything. But you were just saying that you there are other family groups or or yes yeah that, that, yeah there um there is the one family indigo's family um his dad is called al caller and the reason i call him that is because he um uses the al call a lot when he interacts with people uh he does more than that of course but that's what my name for him. There is the mom that I called Moma, and that's because when she would sing to the baby, she would say Moma. And then there is an older sister, Meridia. And some of these are my names, and some are names they gave to me. Um, Indigo, I named him. He has a younger brother, Blue. I named him, and then the little one i just always call baby girl um and and that's that family but there are other families that are actually kin to this family that are here and then sometimes there will be some that come that i don't know and um so yeah they're there is the one main family that's here that I see the most, uh, but then there, there are others as well. And I just have to add that when when Brett and I came out to Oklahoma, we kept saying to each other, like on the way on leading up to the trip, 
like where where would there be Sasquatch in Oklahoma? Like where I, I don't get it. But then once we got out there and we saw just how dense the woods are yes. and how the canopy and like the, all the hills and whatnot, I mean, why wouldn't why wouldn't they be there? It's like the perfect yeah. place to hide. Yeah. Oh yeah. In yeah. plain yeah. sight. We we were shocked, especially as we because um, we left your place, Arla, and we drove down to uh, Hanobi, Hano, mm -hmm. Hanoba. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't sound like it looks like on the map. It doesn't roll no. off the tongue, does no. it? Doesn't roll off the tongue. No. I, um, yeah, I so call it Honubby. Honubby. I think that's but, what Daryl Adams called it. Yeah. yeah. So we so we drove down to Honubby and. Um, into the mountains and we were shocked at yeah. how dense the yeah. forest was it's far more dense than it is in the pacific northwest oh yeah much more yeah if people don't you know if they haven't been to that part of oklahoma or even some some areas of that kind of southern southern midwest it's it's really quite um odd i guess from from folks like us that are from you know used to evergreen trees and you know yeah. cowering douglas firs and stuff like that yeah it it was really fascinating you know earlier arla you were talking about um there being more there and we've talked a little bit of, about what you mean by more there surpassing wood knocks plaster cast roadside crossing the typical stuff that wow was the you know the initiated those who have an initial sighting, let's say, but you say there's more there. And we've kind of flirted at what some of those more things are. Give the audience an idea of how certain you are about this more quality and what what are we talking about? Okay, well, that could be anything from what, you know, they do, um, which is a normal thing for them to other beings that are here, you know, as well. Um, I've seen so much uh, that the Bigfoot people have done that, you know, people all scratch their head and go, you know, how did they do that? But then there are also other beings that, you know, that are around and they live here. Um, you know, in harmony, there's no, you can't be here because you're this or you're that. I mean, there is dogmen here as well. Um, and of course, you know, I was taught about the fairies and about the little people and all of the other things that live here with us that have always been here. Um, I asked an elder one time years and years ago, well, where have they all been? And what he said was, they've always been here. People just didn't see them. They didn't want to see them. And so, you know, when you get away from what you've known as a child or as a culture or whatever, you know, you, you lose that. Just to throw something kind of random out here, Arla, I'm sure you're aware of this, but <clears throat> there's a news item that's going viral right now. Um, it's not, it was on CNN, as a matter of fact. I mean, major news outlets are covering it. There's a family in Las Vegas at a UFO land in their backyard. And what struck me, not just about the fact that a UFO landed in their backyard, but um, what struck me about it was the eyewitness said that they were eight to 10 feet tall and they had big feet. So I just wanted to throw that out there. What do you have any, are you familiar with this? Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> I, I, I read some things on it, but I haven't read enough of what was said to decide what I think it was. Um, could it been uh, one of the Bigfoot or several of the Bigfoot people, I guess. Uh, yeah, it could have been. Could it have been the Star Nation people, which a lot of people call ETs? Yes, it could have been. You know, so we get into this and we hear something and immediately we go, oh, that's not true. That didn't happen. 
and then we go to, well, if it did, what is it? And so we get all of this stuff going on when we really don't have the information that we need. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if it was a Bigfoot people. It wouldn't surprise me if it was the Star Nation people. You know, I was taught all my life they were family. They were relatives. They weren't something to fear either. So I don't have a basis for fear of anything. It doesn't make any difference what it is. Um, I just want to know, you know, what it is that I'm dealing with. Same, same here. And I think that, you know, the, the point has been made multiple times because there is, there is some sort of an underlying fear of the unknown, you know, with, and, and rightfully so with folks out there that, that aren't, aren't in this world like, like we are and and especially you you know the majority of your life but um it's you know i say to people well you know the aliens have been here all along number one number two is if they had any sort of desire to to kill us or destroy us then we wouldn't be here right now you know they could have done it a long time ago that's not to say that there's not good and bad you know out there and there are it's just like people there's loving and caring people and there's deceitful evil people um so you can only assume that there might be some of that as well but these are also you know beings that we're dealing with that have an incredible amount of intelligence that we can't even comprehend and i think that you know part of what we're doing with our first film and our second film is to really talk about how humans don't have the capability of seeing much more than about one percent of the available light spectrum and we forget all the time you know we use these terms like or these these idioms of you know seeing is believing and that's not really the case you know experiencing is believing because there's multiple times that we've all had um an experience where we didn't see anything but we we felt it we heard it we sensed it you know um can you talk about some of those experiences that you've had with um with your friends as well well i have what i call a teacher, Kashima. He is one of the ancient uh, Bigfoot people. And um, of course, I've seen him do many things. I've seen the others do many things. I have seen humans do things and indigenous elders do things that, you know, people say that can't be done. Um, Kashima and I would walk and I would ask him questions about different things. And um, I asked him about that, uh, about this uh, hiding or, you know, now he's there and one second later, he's not there. And I just called it hiding, you know, um, and he called it the place where we go. And so one day we were walking and there were some wild turkeys that had were coming up over this one area. And as we got closer, they scattered. Of course, wild turkeys are going to do that. Well, we walked on, we turned back and we were coming back through that area and the turkeys had kind of filtered back into the area. And um, I don't know why other than I just did it. I said, Kashima, can you hide me? And I wanted to be hid from the turkeys. I didn't, I, you know, I wanted to be hidden. And so in a nanosecond, I guess, I, I was hidden. Now, how did I know that I was hidden? because we were probably 15 feet from one of the wild turkeys. He was totally oblivious that we were there. Um, I kept feeling myself like, you know, if I changed, am I something else? But I wasn't, I looked exactly the same as I did. He looked exactly the same as he did there was no real distortion or anything. And I kept saying, oh my gosh, I could 
I could spit on that turkey. I could reach out there. He's right there and, and they don't see us. But the one thing I did notice is our feet were not touching the ground. That was one element that I did notice that was different. Wow. And so uh, we walked on by where the turkeys were and I'm not being quiet because I'm like, oh my gosh, these turkeys, they're right there. None of them see us. And so we walked on past that. There's another road that I would walk down. We walked down that. And when we turned around to go back towards the house, he did what I call, um, he kind of brought me back as to uh, vibration. And so he would uh, bring me a little ways and, and we would stop. And I did notice slight feelings, but nothing, you know, really um, that strange. And then he brought me back one more. When he brought me back that one, the turkey's heads went up like they sensed something. And then we walked on. And at that point, the turkeys, their heads went back up and they scattered. So the only difference that I noticed was it was kind of a mellow feeling. Um, like you just want to go somewhere and sit down and, you know, just very peaceful, actually. So that was probably one of the things that was really different for me to experience that with him. So, you know, that tells me that it's not a big deal uh, for them to assist us. And it's basically, in my understanding, it's a change in vibration as far as our bodies, uh, our physical bodies are. It kind of reminds me of a lot of witnesses describe with this vacuum state. They'll talk about being in the woods. Uh, Jill, you talked about it last episode, I think. Uh, it's a common thing where they say it wasn't only quiet. It was like the air got stale, stiff, like all the air got sucked out of the room. And then something bizarre usually happens. Um, Talk about that, Arlo. Do you have any hints on what that could be? It kind of sounds like you described that a little bit. I mean, yes, levitation, yes. something else. But yeah, talk about that. Yeah, it and, and it wasn't actually levitation. It was a disconnection. And so, um, yeah, that that happens a lot. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time with them. They could be around and everything's just normal. But there are times when it's like you are in, you're not hearing anything outside of where you are. And, and usually it's literally nothing. It, uh, it's just you're there and everything is so still. And we're not used to that silence. And so we really notice that, um, you know, that that's definitely a vibrational thing going on. Things are changing around you as to why they're doing it. It could be, you know, different reasons of why they're doing it. Sometimes uh, they do things just to get your attention. And that definitely gets people's attention. You know, earlier Brett said part of the reason, you know, we made Flash of Beauty and call it Flash of Beauty is because we wanted to dispel myths. But I want to ask you this because it's controversial and I don't know what you're going to say is, are there monsters? Are there monsters out there? And, and what kind of monsters? Well, 
I believe that there are no demons on this earth. They're the demons that we deal with, the monsters, the other things, are things that we give life to. And we give life to them for different reasons. I mean, we can create any kind of scenario that we want to create. And depending on what you've fed yourself and that part of you that believes what's going on in our world, and for the most part, most people have no idea of what's really going on in this world, um, you know, you're, you're going to create things. Um, there is no reason for demons to be on this earth. This is a perfect place without humans. So if humans were not here, there would be no demons here. There would be no monsters here. And of course, this is purely my belief. So, you know, I, and I do understand people uh, feeling uh, like there are demons and there are monsters in the woods. And, but we've been told that from being small, don't do this because it'll get you. Or you have to act like this or this is going to be the repercussion for doing that. And that's one of the things about the Bigfoot people is they can help us get past so much of all that that serves no purpose in our life other than to teach us something. And they can help us get through that teaching if we just open our hearts and and listen and let go of those things. What Arla, in your opinion, what is the most important thing that they've taught you in your in your life? Well, there is something that they do and people call it various things, but it is like a love infusion that passes anything we humans know as love. And in that that point when they do that you don't have any worry about anything there is no fear in your life there is this total peace that comes over you and that we are that and that all we have to do is open up to that i mean being respectful of, of how you do things, how you treat other people. Uh, all of those things are very important teachings that they carry. Um, but this goes past that and lets you feel that. If it was in my power for everyone to just experience that, you know, just once, I, I would do that. But then it's not in my power and it's not my place to do it. But, I, you know, I do hope that by helping people when they come to me and are trying to get over their fears and things that I can get them to understand for themselves, not anything I'm telling them, but come to that understanding themselves that this is definitely a possibility. Have they passed along messages or have they have they given you messages to pass along to you humanity oh pretty much i mean if you've read my book if you follow my facebook page and in places where i write things a lot of those things come from conversations i've had um with them um and so pretty much everything I've done since I've come into this is to show people the, their value. And that's one thing that's very important to them is for us to see our value. When we help ourselves, 
in a respectful way, we help them too. This is Arla Williams. You haven't heard nothing yet. Coming out in part two, Arla has a prominent place and uh, it's a real humdinger. I won't spoil it here. I'll get in big trouble. <laughs> but she mentioned her books. You can get those books, find those beautiful books. Her latest book, a children's novel, Respecting the Water, and the book before that, My Life with the Harry People by Arla Williams. Arla, thanks for being our guest tonight. And um, it's our pleasure. It was awesome to see you guys again. And you're all always welcome in my home. And I can't guarantee you anything will happen, but you're always welcome here. Thank you, Arla. Arla I, I would just hope that if, when we come out again, I just want to see all those goats and the chickens and <laughs> uh, you've got quite in the dogs, uh, quite the menagerie of animals well, i want to have a Literally. half a watermelon with a bigfoot i don't know what you're doing be doing but i'm i'm gonna be knee deep down in the garden there with a the squatch <laughs> well you better be careful what you ask for because people who have come here before have definitely had some things happen and uh just amazing how they uh play and prank and everything else they are the world's best pranksters and 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 to tease a little bit more about what tob said we are featuring one of those extraordinary stories that we talked to you about in the sequel a flashy beauty paranormal bigfoot so um it and it turned out fabulous and is turning <laughs> out fabulous i'm still kind of working on it but uh i'm so excited for people to see that i think people are going to just love it all right. Till next time, our guest, Arla Williams. Have a good night, Arla. Thank you. This has been a Resonance Production podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at bigfootrevealedpod at gmail.com. Also, if you're just discovering the Flash of Beauty universe, you can watch our documentary on most major streaming platforms. <laughs>